The host is me, Maxime. The guest is Avi. The show is I Like People. The episode is number 13, and the date is May Day, 2019. The revolution of the planet has been occurring for a long time. The revolution of the people is celebrated, feared, and revered today. The revolution of the machines is just beginning. But while the latter have learned a lot about human behavior and even perhaps how to manipulate people and planet, it is safe to presume they still have a lot to learn about heart and soul. I propose that good people may be the key to imbuing our presently discreet but increasingly omnipresent cyber neighbors with the power of love. To that end, let's listen to a good person's answers to the seven questions to save humanity and consider the meaning within a rock musical. The Christmas tree goes up in flames. The snow dances. Oblivious, Mimi and Roger share a small, lovely kiss. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> doing pretty well. How are you? Good, good. Um, the first question is, uh, where do your name and sense of identity come from? So my name, Avi, is short for Avital, and it is a chosen name. I was raised Jewish, and we were asked to all have Hebrew names in fifth grade. And Valerie, my given name, doesn't translate over uh, directly. So I searched for names that had the same sounds um, as Valerie and came across Avital. That was a unisex name, though mostly male, which I liked. <laughs> and apparently it means father of dew as in morning dew. So it's a reference to God. So, you know, it's super humble. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I decided to start going by Avi when I moved to Mount Madonna Center, which is a yoga retreat center and intentional community in the Santa Cruz Mountains. In 2011, um, a lot of people take spiritual names there. And I liked the idea of taking on a different name to remind myself of wanting to be more intentional about, you know, how I was living and that kind of that transformation that I was moving into. And it, it's stuck with it ever since. So that's the name. As for my sense of identity, I'm going to have to put that a lot on my mom's shoulders. I come from a pretty diverse family. My mom is black Catholic and my dad is a white Jew and they're both practicing and that was always just the way it was in my household. No biggie. You just accept each other as you are and move on. That's Growing beautiful. Up, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it was, you know, I just assumed, you know, everyone's kind of like this. It's like, whatever, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, not everyone. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's, that's my norm. And then growing up, my mom was very proactive in telling both my brother and me that we can't, she was like, you, you can't rely on the outside world to offer you a reflection of who you are because who you are is going to make some people mad 
and um, upset and whatever the case may be, et cetera, et cetera. And that has nothing to do with you personally. It's just who they are and what they believe. And so therefore you have to know that you are beautiful and wonderful and perfect as you are. And she just kept repeating that until I was like, okay, cool. Got it. I have to carry my own sense of identity and not rely on anyone else to give it to me. Has that ever been a challenge for you to have a a self-esteem, like particularly through adolescence or anything like that? Self-esteem is a funny thing. I've always been pretty self-confident. My brother and I kind of made this pact early on. We would notice that our friends, you know, growing up, it's kind of a a thing to be self-deprecating, you know, like, oh my God, I'm so stupid or I'm so, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? And so we noticed this and we were like, this is stupid. Like, why would we perpetuate these things about ourselves that we don't really believe anyway? And so we decided that we would just always talk ourselves up. So, <laughs> yeah, if you ask any any friends, the Creeley siblings always had a lot of self confidence. Um, that's great. That's a that's I'd say that's a positive difference. Totally, totally. But I think like self is like you know I still struggled with I was identified by others as like the teacher's pet and you know that kind of a thing early on, and I carried that identity even though. You know, I knew even though it was put on you. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I had everyone has their struggles, but I'd say I did pretty well. (laughs) Well, thank you. Do you think that's a fair question? I've had different versions of this question, like, uh, what are your preferred gender pronouns or who are you? But I, I think this is kind of where I'm at now with the question. Where do your where do your name and sense of identity come from? Uh, yeah, I like the idea of sense of identity, right? Because, you know, identity is a fluid thing. So it's like a, it's a feeling more than, you know, a definition. And um, at least I think so. And names say a lot. If it's a given name or a chosen name, and you know, yeah, I think it's a good question. Great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, then on to question two. This one, um, well, it is just what it is. What does being human mean to you? What does being human mean to me? (laughs) Being human kind of means all of the things, doesn't it? So I'm going to go a little bit to the yogic philosophy here. I don't like to subscribe to any one particular practice or religion or whatever it may be, but this is something that kind of, once I heard it, I was like, you know what, that makes sense to me. And it's the idea that back in the day, there was a super consciousness that everything was in and, you know, we are all one and all of that jazz, right? Like that was happening. And then at some point, matter, oh no, I'm going to get this wrong, matter and consciousness separated or or like it it reflected on one on itself in the in the sense that consciousness can't be conscious of itself so in order to understand what it was it had to be something else Mm, it had to kind of mirror itself by becoming uh, uh not together and not conscious and not whole or something yeah and that's essentially what the human experience is, is all, it's, it's the experience of being separate 
of not being in the super consciousness in order to understand that that is actually what we all are. Whoa, okay. <laughs> that's a good answer. Wow, that's pretty deep. Okay. I, I think that's, I'm going to call that question done. <laughs> cool. Have you ever had a paranormal experience, um, an encounter with something that changed your perception or something along those lines? Have I ever had a, a what type of experience? Um, metaphysical, paranormal, uh, but then people who have had these experiences object to those terms because they're like, well, it's not paranormal, it's normal. So it's difficult to get at this, but basically it's kind of like, have you seen your worldview change? And if so, how? Hmm. I mean, many times over, but I think what you're getting at, perhaps this is the one that like really struck me. If you're, if you're getting into like the metaphysical kind of like something beyond ourselves, yes, then this would be the one. So uh, this was, whatever, 20, 10 years ago or so, I saw an intuitive for the first time. And this is something I always wanted to do, but I was always like, mm, you know, I don't want to just like go to any old psychic or whatever that has to kind of come to me. And it did. Wow. So I was like, okay, you know, just see what this is. We'll see what it's like. And he did the reading and told me to like write everything down. And if something resonated now, great. And if maybe it would do it later, whatever. But you know, I'd have it. And so I'm writing everything down. He's getting some names correct of people in my life and whatever. But I was like, yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the reading, he was like, okay, there's one last thing. And as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, whatever this thing is, like if this comes true, then I believe it'll change my worldview in that way. So he's like, your guides want you to know there's something about a bouquet. And I was like, a bouquet? He was like, yeah, it's a small bouquet, like to a friend. What? I don't know anything else, but it's a small bouquet. And I was like, all right, dude, whatever. So, <laughs> you just pulled that out of your, yeah. Like, yeah, a fucking small bouquet. Like, what is that, right? <laughs> but I remember, and I don't tell anybody about, like I told some people about other parts of that, but I told nobody about this last thing because just like, so you know this podcast goes on itunes so <laughs> it's fine i mean like i've told the story now but like i had okay like okay. the whole like going into it i was like this is the thing right so nobody else know. <laughs> um go, cut to a couple months later from his reading i decided to leave la i was in la at the time and i was debating about what to do duh, 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 and like that was part of what kind of pushed me to make the decision to move which led me to mount madonna eventually. Um, it's like my last couple days. I'm with my friend. We're sitting outside. It's a beautiful day. And just like in my head thinking like, is this the right move? I don't know. I have so many beautiful friends here. Duh, 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 duh. And then all of a sudden, my friend turns to me and he goes, here, this is the smallest bouquet you will ever receive. <laughs> No, wow. And he had taken all the little flowers from the grass that grew, you know, and like twisted them together. So it was really, it was a small fucking bouquet. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. So, and the, in those words, this is the smallest bouquet you will ever receive. 
So that's when I knew. This meant I was on my path. This meant like, and, and there were other things at Mount Madonna that were in that reading later, but really it meant more of like, it was like, yes, it's this is a confirmation you're doing the right thing. And this is a confirmation that this connection to something greater than you is true. Wow. That is beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Indeed. Question four is, I don't know, maybe this is kind of related. What is the best way we can honor life on earth? To love and be loved in return. (laughs) It's a oldie but goodie. I know. It's so true. That's it. It's the answer to everything. (laughs) Question five. What does community mean to you? Mm. This is a question I've asked many people myself. Would you like to give us some of their answers? Because I've been asking this of a lot of people now too. And I'm very curious to hear from someone who's also on a similar project. Yeah. I think the most interesting answer I've heard um, lately is somebody who said community is conflict. It's not like a benefit of it. You know, it's not a consequence. It's just simply it is conflict. And if it's all about moving through that and working together and um, that's, that's what community is to, to him. That's what he said. Mm, yeah, that, that, is, that is definitely one perspective. I know. I, I like it in the sense that like, I agree that community very much is like, it's a commitment and it's a commitment to stay and work through a lot of shit that comes up. Because yeah. it will come up. Yep. And it's, it's a beautiful and terrifying reflection that doesn't go away. So I like it in that sense, but I don't, I don't love the idea of like putting such a kind of like negative spin on it. Like you, nobody wants to move into conflict really, right? <laughs> uh, no, as a pacifist, I am going to be avoiding it. But right, yeah. Like, yeah. So maybe like community to me is collaboration. And collaboration causes conflict. Exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm going to stick with that for now. <laughs> I love it. All right, moving on. Question six, what projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? <laughs> well, I am excited. I've been working with Sky Blue, who's the executive director of the Fellowship for Intentional Community on a project where we, this is why we were um, interviewing somebody about what community means to them. Um, we started with the idea of that was at the West Coast Communities Conference last year um, of collect, a collective liberation. And what does that mean? How do we get there? You know, that kind of thing. And right now we're, we've been interviewing people and it's turned more into like, Basically, like, what are we seeing within the intentional communities movement that the broader society might benefit from understanding more about? And then also, like, what is going on in the broader society that the intentional community movement can learn from and play a role in as well? So, yeah. Yeah, just trying to build that bridge a little stronger because... I do believe in intentional community. I believe it's necessary to have places where we are, you know, having 
live experiments of trying to live differently. Um, you know, I think a lot of us are all agreed that the broader society isn't working. There's a lot of fucking issues and a lot of pain and suffering and bullshit. And we don't have to live that way, but like how there's so many ways to live differently. So like what, what yeah. does that actually look like? You know? Yeah. I think in my encounters with similar uh, respect, respectful attitudes of that understanding, <laughs> um, I think the main difference I'm finding is people who have said this is the optimal system and it sucks or this system sucks and we could do better. And, mm. and, and I feel like I've met 50, 50 of that attitude. Like even people within progressive and anarchist movements and mo movements for people to, to try to change something. I feel like there's the, it's, it's, it's short of nihilism that people care uh, but it's like um, it's this like hopelessness virus versus the people who are like, no, we got to, I mean, we have an opportunity to do something. Yeah. We've been talking about the hopelessness piece that it's like the other sky actually said this, that it, it's the other side of complacency because um, it both produces non-action, you know? Mm, yes. Yes. Well, that's an amazing project. It sounds like at first you're responding with inspiration to the value of justice and liberation and saying, yes, let's, let's go towards that. That, is, that was the right direction. It, does the project still involve that inspiration? Yeah, it's definitely still there. And, you know, when we kept using that phrase, from like, sounds really cool, but like, what does it actually mean? Mm -hmm. And we didn't want to like, we didn't want to go through a project just trying to define it because that's not really what we're trying to get at. So, <laughs> right. You know? And so that's where, that's how we kind of took a step back and we're like, well, what, what are our goals? And really it's, it's like, you know, these intentional communities are wonderful things that are happening that people should definitely know more about. And are they relevant? And if so, how, and if not, how, and how do we build that bridge more? Because if it just happens in isolation and does it, does it make a difference or does it make enough of a difference? These are all amazing questions. I'm glad you're there asking these questions. I'm glad you're in this project. Is there any way that people um, who are listening can involve themselves yet? Yes is a great question. Um, they can certainly reach out uh, to either one of us um, and I can give you our contact info. Okay. I can put that in the show notes on the site, which is cool. at maxime.com forward slash I like people. Perfect. Yeah. That'd be the best way right now. Thank you, Avi. Last question of the seven questions to save humanity. How can we all realize more human happiness together? <sighs> I think it's <laughs> going back to yoga again. It starts within. So, you know, it seems selfish at times, but the more love and happiness that you can offer yourself, then the more love and happiness we can offer each other and thus the world. You're so concise. I feel like I shouldn't be the host. <laughs> oh, you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Master. So. Next, I'd like to see if you're interested in 
participating in two things. One of them is an experiment in community that is the previous guest asks a question of the next guest, not knowing Ooh. who that will be. Um, if you'd like, you can answer a previous question and ask a question. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, great. The question that was left by Vic in episode 12 is, what's the difference between giving up and letting go? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. You know, my first instinct is to say that giving up is an action and letting go is an allowing. As in, to give up, I think it actually requires more effort. You have to stop yourself from doing something. And letting go that I've experienced is more of, it's like it's an opening up, which is much more of a, I don't know. Like a redirection almost, it sounds like. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like a... I think of a sitting practice, you know, it's a letting go is like a sitting practice and giving up is like falling down. It sounds like you do know to me. <laughs> All right. What's your question for um, guest 14? Mm. What's the question that if you had the answer to it would give you peace. Ooh. I actually, I'm going to give credit to Warden Millard from Mount Madonna Center. He has asked that many times, and that one always sticks with me. So. Great. Okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the answer to that. The second segment um, of the next two segments is... <laughs> being the last segment is there a music that you enjoy that you'd like to have us listen to and review and talk about how it makes us feel and it's or its importance in our lives i'm gonna go ahead and say it rent the musical rent the musical rent the musical has played a very large role in my life no, please, no, not tonight, please, no, Mr. Can't You Go, not tonight, can't have a scene. What? Go, please go, you, hello, sir, I said no, important customer. What am I, just a blur? You sit all night, you never buy. That's a lie, that's a lie, I had a tea the other day. You couldn't pay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Coffin the third here. <laughs> oh, no. Wine and beer! The enemy of Avenue A <gasps> and Mr. Gray. Oy vey. What brings the mogul in his own mind to the Life Cafe? <laughs> I would like to propose a toast to Maureen's noble try. <laughs> it went well. Go to hell. <laughs> Was the yuppie scum stomped? Not counting the homeless. How many tickets weren't comped? Why did Muffy... Uh, Allison, you missed the show. There was a death in a family, if you must know. Who died? Our Akita. Evita. <laughs> Me, me. I'm surprised. A bright and charming girl like you hangs out with these slackers who don't adhere to deals. They make fun, yet I'm the one attempting to do some good. 
Or do you really want a neighborhood where people piss on your stoop every night? Bohemia, Bohemia's a fallacy in your head. This is Calcutta. Bohemia is dead. I saw it for the first time in eighth grade. I think it was 1998 or 99, one of those. And it's all like all the messages are just, you can live your life through those messages. It's forget regret, measure your life in love. There's no day but today. Like there's a lot of being present and appreciating the important things in life, uh, which includes friends and loved ones and, and community. Dearly beloved, we gather here to say our Daughter of Mother Earth On this night when we celebrate the birth In that little town of Bethlehem We raise our glass You bet your ass to Love That, that musical lives on, um, and it has such a beautiful backstory. I don't know if you know much about Jonathan Larson, who wrote it for No, please, share. I'm a rent head. <laughs> I've read, read a lot up on this. But anyway, Jonathan Larson, he wrote Rent, and he, and he all of his friends said, you know, he, he had this vision of writing the next generation musical you know, the, the thing that was going to change musicals and how we see them and get, and get the young people in and, um, like, really make a difference. I think that's a fair goal since musicals themselves are already kind of inspirational, like, traditionally. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and you can sing all the songs and it like, can really make an impact, right? So he kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And this was during the AIDS epidemic. So all, you know, he was living in New York, artists, all of his friends are dying and he's like going to the meetings that they'd have. And just like, he's like in this world and he writes about it. Cut to the night before it goes up for its workshop, um, which is how it got to Broadway. So it's the first time it's going to be performed for, like, for critics and whatnot. And he dropped dead. Night before. Good heavens. Yep. And the thing is, like a couple, a few days before he had passed out and they took him to the ER, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. It was something they could have caught but didn't. And that's what eventually he died from. The cast are all informed the day of, like, they're trying to figure out, like, what do we do? Do we, do we, go on with the show like this is this is his dream he wouldn't have wanted it to just stop because you know this was it so they decided that they were going to just sing the whole thing but they weren't going to perform it so they would they just all sat on the stage and 
they started singing it. And by the end of the first act, which is like one of the, of course, big musical numbers, La Boheme, they just couldn't. Like the music, the, the whole energy of the show like required that they perform. So they got up and then they did the whole rest of the show as it was supposed to be. Two days of inspiration, playing hooky, making something out of nothing. The need to express, to communicate, to going against the grain, going insane, going mad. To loving tension, no pension, to more than one dimension. To starving for attention, hating convention, hating potential. Not to mention, of course, hating dear old mom and dad. To riding your bike midday past the three pieces To fruits, to no absolutes To absolute, to choice, to the village of boys To any passing fan To being an us for once Instead of a them La Viva in a pyramid it is more room the mixer doesn't have a case don't give me that face <clears throat> hey mister she's my sister <laughs> so that's five miso soup four seaweed salad three soy burger dinner two tofu dog platter and one pasta with meatless balls and it went on to broadway and went on to become a movie and you know all of the fame but he never got to experience it wow and he changed the world. You know, he did it. Yeah. <sighs> that so. is very interesting. How, what is a song in particular that you go to from this musical that, um, and, and why? <sighs> oh, there's so many. Um, Unfair question, maybe. Yeah, I'm like, how do we even? Let me see. I'm t- I'm I'm debating between two of them. We'll play two. We'll play two. No way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like that's exciting. But I'm like, really? They're long songs. I want to pick one. Let me let me let me just. Okay, so let me at least tell you between the two. So there's, I'm thinking of the first song, which is Rent, and I'm thinking of this because when I first saw it, and it's all about like we're not going to pay rent. Like that's like at the end of the song, like that's what they're screaming. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it took me a while, but like just recently I was like, maybe this is why I have such an objection to paying rent <laughs> as a concept is bullshit. And I wonder if it has to do with this musical, but at the end of this particular song, which is like the first main song that they sing and they're like, you know, up in your, they're just screaming. They're like singing their hearts out with full energy for the first song. And I, afterwards I turned to my mom and I was like, I have to get the soundtrack. Like mm. I haven't heard anything else, but I'm like the way that they, they're, they're bringing it the way like they, you just feel it. And I was like, I, I need this in my life. So that's why I thought of that song. But if I, um, Oh, there's so many more too. But La Boheme, like I was saying, which is the act one finale, it's such a fun song. And I think it like really gets to community in that sense because it's all, you know, they talk about being um, dancers and being musicians and being anarchists and 
being gay and lesbian and all of the things, like all, all of everybody's lifestyles and, 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 and like living that lifestyle with no shame and like just fully being yourself in that way. And they like dance on the table and all this stuff. So it's like, <laughs> all like, that good musical yeah, stuff too. Like it's just like, yeah, that one's, that one's a goodie. So there you go. So what'll it be? Oh, right. I was supposed to choose. I mean, go for La Boheme, because that's fun. Ew. <laughs> it tastes the same. If you close your eyes. And 13 orders of fries. Is that it here? Wine and beer. Two handcrafted beers made in local breweries. To yoga, to yoga, to rice and beans and cheese. To leather, to dildos, to curry vinado. To huevo francheros and maya angelou. Devotion to causing a commotion, creation, vacation, mucho masturbation. From fashion to fashion to fashion, when it's new, to Sontag, Sontag, to anything taboo. Ginsburg, Dylan, Cunningham, and Kate, Lenny Bruce, Langston Hughes, to the stage, to Utah, to Buddha, Pablo Neruda, to... Why Dorothy and Toto went over the rainbow to blow up MTM. La And wipe the speakers off before you pack. Yes, Maureen. Well, hurry back. Sisters. We're close. Brothers. death of Bohemia, an impromptu salon will commence immediately following dinner. Mimi Marquez, clad only in bubble wrap, will perform her famous lawn chair handcuff dance to the sounds of iced tea being stirred. And Mark Cohen will preview his new documentary about his inability to hold an erection on the high holy day. And Maureen Johnson, back from her spectacular one-night engagement at the 11th Street lot, will sing Native American tribal chants backwards through her vocoder while accompanying herself on the electric cello, which she has never studied. Your new boyfriend doesn't know about us. There's nothing to know. Don't you think that we should discuss? It was three months ago. He doesn't act like he's with you. We're taking it slow. Where is he now? He's right. Uh-huh. Where'd he go? And Roger will attempt to write a bittersweet, evocative song that doesn't remind us of Musetta's waltz. Angel de Machinard will model the latest fall fashion from Paris while accompanying herself on the 10-gallon plastic pickle tub. And Collins will recount his exploits as anarchist, including the tale of his successful reprogramming of the MIT virtual reality equipment to self-destruct as it broadcasts the words. Actual reality, act up, fight it! Excuse me, did I do something wrong? I get invited, then ignored. All 
Avi, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. You've given us a lot to uh, chew on, even with few words. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is a cool project. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. May you uh, continue to find a lot of love in your life. Mm, thank you. Same to you. Are we packed? Yes. And by next week, I want you to be Fookie. And you should see they padlocked your building and they're rioting on Avenue B. Benny, call the cops. That's fuck. They don't know what they're doing. The cops are sweeping the lot. But no one's leaving. They're just sitting there mooing. Oh, to Money, Hollywood, and sleaze. There's all of love, emotion, mathematics, isolation, rhythm, power, feeling, harmony, and heavy competition. Anarchy, revolution, justice, screaming for solutions, forcing changes, risk and danger, making noise and making pleas. The faggots, lessies, dice, cross dressers, to me, to me, to you and you and you, you and you, to people living with, living with, living with. Riot continues.